Good morning, Athens in Southeast Ohio. It's coming up on 9.09. It's a Monday morning. October 16th, the date. Kind of gray outside. But we'll try to lighten things up here for everyone. Yes, indeed. Don Holbert's here. Good morning, Don. Good morning. And welcome. Yeah, what a busy weekend. So many things going on. And, uh, you know, one of, one of the highlights for me, at least, uh, was the, um, um, the, the, the talk about, um, oh, the Mount Zion operations and the renovations and everything like that. There was a session held yesterday, I think it was, at the uh, the History Center, and uh, it was just really neat. And maybe it was Saturday. I get my days mixed up when the weekends happen, but it was a very nice event, and there's many more to come. So, folks, if that is something that uh, catches your attention, we hope you'll become aware of it. In any case, it is a Monday. It is the 16th day of October. And uh, when you look at uh, this date in history, Don and I have a report, and let's see what we've got to say. Uh, October 16th, okay. But the year was 1813. The Battle of Leipzig, the largest battle in Europe prior to World War I, and uh, let's see, Napoleon's forces defeated by Prussia, Aust- Austria, and Russia. Yeah, so a highlight in history. Moving on, um, let's see, what's my math here? 88 years, something like that. To the year 1900, Great Britain and Germany signed the Anglo-German Treaty, agreeing to maintain territorial integrity of China and support open-door policy called for by the U.S. Secretary of State. Mao Zedong, right? 1934 and 25,000 troops begin their 6,000-mile-long march from the south of China to the north and west. I would not look forward to a 6,000-mile march. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, Mercy. Okay. Let's see. What next? 1962 is our next event. It says the Cuban Missile Crisis. And I certainly remember that. That all began as JFK, John F. Kennedy, is shown photos confirming the presence of Soviet missiles in Cuba. That was a very tense period. 1978, Polish Cardinal Karol Wojtyla, W-O-J-T-Y-L-A, 
um, was elected pope. But um, obviously they didn't want to deal with his difficult name, so they changed his name to Pope John Paul II. Interesting. 1978. All right, 20 years later, 1998, former Chilean um, dictator general Augusto Pinochet is arrested. This occurred in London on a Spanish warrant requesting his extradition on murder charges. Well, let's see here. We, <coughs> excuse me, I didn't mean to cough in your ears, folks. Forgive me. We have, uh, of course, some famous birthdays, today being a free-for-all session. Um... David Ben-Gurion, I've heard that name so many times um, in my life. Um, I don't know why, but it just always has stuck in my mind. He also, uh, when you look at his picture, he's kind of a distinguished-looking guy. His life, he was born on this date in 1886. He died in 1973. Now, Mr. Ben-Gurion. What, uh, what do we know about him? He was the primary national founder of the state of Israel, as well as the state's first prime minister. And what a tough time right now for the Jews. Okay, uh, our next famous birthday is that of Noah Webster. Can we guess? I'll bet we can. But we'll, we'll just see if it turns out right. So he was born on this date in 1758, died in 1843. Webster. He was an American lexicographer, textbook pioneer, English language spelling reformer, political writer, editor, and author. And? And his name has become synonymous with dictionary in the United States, especially the modern Merriam-Webster Dictionary that was first published in 1828. There you go. That was, of course, my guess, and it turned out to be correct. Let's see here. Uh, a couple others. Uh, Eugene O'Neill. Born on this date in 1888, he died in 1953. Eugene O'Neill. He was an Irish-American playwright. His poetically titled plays were among the first to introduce into the U.S. the drama techniques of realism, earlier associated with Russian playwright Anton Chekhov. The tragedy Long Day's Journey into Night is often included on lists of the finest U.S. plays in the 20th century, alongside A Streetcar Named Desire and oh, Death of a Salesman. Yes, indeed. And he was awarded the 1936 Nobel Prize in Literature. I'm embarrassed that I had not recalled those, uh, at least three of those shows in advance of you reading it. Uh, three that I've uh, been engaged in. Okay, Oscar Wilde. Born on this date in 1854, died in 1900. Oscar Wilde. He was an Irish poet and playwright. After writing in different forms throughout the 1880s, he became one of the most popular playwrights in London in the early 1890s. He is best remembered for his epigrams and plays, his novel The Picture of Dorian Gray, and the circumstances of his criminal conviction for gross indecency for consensual homosexual acts. Hmm. 
Okay. Now, um, as we often do, and not only do we note some famous birthdays, but we also note some famous deaths. And we have two to mention today. Uh, this is to say people that died on this date in a certain year. So, um, Alfred jo- Jody. Jodel. Uh, I, I Jodel. Is that an L? Yeah, that's okay, an L. Okay, my... The ink on my uh, yeah, it, printing. It, 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 it does look like an eye. So. Okay, so Jodel, J-O-D-L. He was born in 1890, but he died on this date in 1946, a military guy, right? Yes. He was a German General Loberst who served as the chief of the, op- chief, chief of the operations staff of the German Armed Forces High Command throughout World War II and a criminal executed for crimes against humanity. Okay, the last one, and this is, um, again, the category of famous deaths. Um, none of us have ever heard of this woman. Uh, Marie Antoinette, born in 1755, died in 1793 on this very date. Now, actually, we've heard a lot about her, but do we remember why? She was the last queen of France before the French Revolution. She was born an Archduchess of Austria and was the penultimate child and youngest daughter of Empress Maria Theresa and Emperor Francis I. She became Dauphine of France in May 1770 at age 14 upon her marriage to Louis Auguste, heir apparent to the French throne. All right. Well, as we often do when we're having a free-for-all, we cover some of those sort of things here. Uh, I came across a story uh, in preparing for the show today. Uh, This is under a, a collection of stories called The Ohio News Connection. And uh, once in a while, I find something in there that catches my eye and bring it in and did so today. This one says, a new report shows 112 domestic violence fatalities in Ohio over the past year. After a spike in fatality numbers during the COVID-19 pandemic, Ohio domestic violence prevention groups saw a downward trend and fatalities. But numbers remain at pre-pandemic levels. It goes on, about 112 people died between July of 22 and June 30th of this year. And these deaths attributed to domestic violence, according to a new report. Um, hmm. Uh, that's um, 112 domestic violence fatalities in Ohio over the past year. Uh, let's see here. Are, are there a couple liners in here that I could share? This is a lengthy report. 
gun violence as a manner of death made up 91% of victim fatalities, which was a slight increase this reporting period. In 42% of these cases, the perpetrator also killed themselves with a gun. Wow. Let's see here. Here's another thing I found. It says, the most disturbing finding from our report was that 22 children and babies were killed the most since our coalition began reporting seven years ago. Sixteen victims were less than ten years old, including six babies who are under one year old. Oh, jeez. That's just so sad. And how can one do that? Well, it's a disturbing report. But uh, if you want to look it up, the Ohio News Connection is the source of it. Well, let's see here. Let's um, look at yet another report that we often refer to called 1440. Um, let's see here. Um, they just mentioned right off the bat, we're covering a waiting game in Gaza, a turbulent election in Ecuador, and much more. Okay, so what about Gaza? Israeli Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu said yesterday the country's military operations were focused on completely dismantling Hamas, signaling Israel is planning to mount a full-scale invasion of the Gaza Strip. Those comments came a week after an invasion and subsequent brutal attack by Hamas against unsuspecting civilians in southern Israel. And of course, we mentioned that throughout last week and so as all the other news sources, um, you know, ABC, CBS, NBC, all that stuff. But here, this story goes on. Hundreds of thousands of troops have amassed at the border with Gaza, while Israel urged residents in northern Gaza to evacuate southward. Analysts say the operation is expected to begin in northern Gaza, focusing on a network of underground tunnels used by Hamas. While international officials continue to warn of an impending humanitarian crisis, particularly at hospitals and shelters, following a full blockade by Israel, of goods entering Gaza. Israel has argued the blockade is necessary to push Hamas to release more than 100 hostages taken during the initial attack. Well, as of the writing of this report, the combined death toll has now passed 
4,000 civilians, including at least 1,400 Israelis and more than 2,600 Palestinians. Uh, they also add that close to 30 Americans are believed to be among those killed. Separately, the U.S. sent a second aircraft carrier, the USS Eisenhower, to the eastern Mediterranean in hopes of deterring the escalation of a broader regional conflict. Hmm. Well, let's, let's, um, let's say we're up to date on that one but we'll keep you informed as things develop. Artificial intelligence. You know, uh, we're going to do a show on this topic uh, uh, tomorrow. Uh, it'll be um, not... How do I want to say it? We're just going to talk about the concept in general and things it can do and can't do and maybe shouldn't do, or maybe should do. <laughs> okay, and um, this is a cousin of mine. Uh, I guess he'd be a second cousin. His mother is my um, cousin. So that makes him a second cousin, correct? I think so. I believe so, yeah. Okay. His name's Jacob Haining. And... Um, I'll introduce him to you tomorrow, but we're going to do this via telephone. Um, but I'm really interested to learn from someone that really knows about this stuff, what it is and what it can do. And I mean, we hear of all sorts of things we think it can do. But is it true? I just don't know. I haven't talked to an expert. So that's tomorrow. But in the, in the meantime, we have a, a story about it today, and it says, AI unwrap, unwraps ancient scrolls. Okay, a newly developed machine learning a logarithm has, for the first time, decoded parts of a burned manuscript recovered from the ancient Roman city of Herculaneum, forgive my pronunciation, I think it's correct, but I'm not sure. Going on, the breakthrough was made by 21-year-old Luke Ferritor, a University of Nebraska computer science student, as part of a $1 million competition to digitally restore the scrolls. They say a single full word translated as purple was revealed. Okay, well, I don't guess I understand the significance of that, but that's a sentence there. They go on, situated just west of Mount Vesuvius, the city fell victim to the same massive first century eruption that burned near, uh, that buried nearly... Let me try this better. 
that buried nearby Pompeii. There, I got it. Like its neighbor, much of the city was preserved under a blanket of ash. Roughly 1,800 manuscripts were accidentally found in the mid-18th century, charred but intact. Housed in a single villa, potentially owned by the father-in-law of Julius Caesar. Well, this um, this student, Luke Ferreter, twenty-one years of age, was awarded forty thousand dollars for being the first to identify simply a single word. The competition's 700,000 grand. That prize goes to the first team to decode four separate passages. And I'm sure Luke is working on that too. Kind of an in interesting item. And once again, artificial intelligence it will be our principal topic tomorrow right here on the party line. Okay, Ecuador. You know, I spent a summer there. Uh, I thoroughly enjoyed my time in Ecuador. Now, there were certain reasons why. I was 14 years of age, but I was allowed to drive. You know how thrilling that would be for a youngster 14 years of age. Yeah, I did it at 15. So <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> so um, I had my permit and everything. I was driving to football practice. <laughs> I uh, My job and um, the person I was working for was an uncle, Donald Dilworth. Dr. Donald Dilworth. He had a medical clinic down in, down in Latacunga province. He also put on the air a radio station. Because up in the Hindis, in the mountains, all far away are people who rarely visit down below and yet are experiencing all sorts of health issues. And so, this radio station, it wasn't playing music. It was encouraging people to seek medical treatment and giving them a little bit of knowledge about go to this place if you have this problem. Go to that place if you have some different problem, right? Okay. Now, one of my jobs was to drive up into the, these way high places, these villages. Did I speak their language? No, I can't even remember the name of the language. But I had phonetic lines in front of me on paper and I could try to speak it, right? Just phonetically. There was a young gal, my same age, whose um, father had been a doctor in these processes. 
And the two of us were a team. What was our job? To convince someone to give us a stool specimen. <laughs> okay. Now, I know that sounds really yucky. But uh, it is that kind of study that allowed people, the medical docs, to know who needed treatment first, who was most seriously in need. Well, given the language restrictions and the personal concerns about such things, that was a tall order. Well, I won't give you any more on that, but I have some amazing stories. <laughs> but anyway, we would then take these stool specimens and take them back down out of the Andes to um, Chupienza and other places where the where they had um, microscopes and things like that, and they could examine these people, their stool specimens. Oh wait, I'm I'm way off topic here. <laughs> anyway, we have a story this morning about Ecuador. It says conservative lawmaker Daniel Naboa defeated leftist Luisa Gonzalez in Ecuador's presidential race. That occurred yesterday, garnering roughly 52% of the vote and capping a six-month campaign that saw one of its leading candidates assassinated amid a wider search in gang-related violence. Well, at 35 years of age, Naboa will become the youngest president in Ecuador's history, achieving the goal his father, uh, who's Alvara Naboa, and they go on to say the country's wealthiest individual, uh, he himself tried to become president on five occasions unsuccessfully. The younger Naboa has held position in his several positions in his father's businesses, including um, Bonita Bananas, which is a major exporter of the fruit. He also was elected to the National Assembly in 2021. They go on, his campaign focused on reducing record crime levels increasing youth employment, and expanding health care across while reducing, I'm sorry, not across, but access, and expanding health care access while reducing taxes. Um, I, 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 I'm just going to reflect for a moment. Ecuador was beautiful. And I enjoyed my time down there. But mercy, that's been 60 years ago. I'm sure things are different. 
Anyway, the last paragraph on this story says the irregular election was called after current president Guillermo Lasso utilized a constitutional mechanism in April that both dissolved the legislature and triggered new elections as he faced an impeachment trial over embezzlement charges. Yeah, that doesn't sound very good. Naboa will face re-election in just a year and a half. Okay, well, let's see here. We're all getting older, right? Here's a headline that catches my attention. By the way, it's 9.37 and a half this morning. Scientists discover new way to fight aging. Now, so far at least, I've never been particularly concerned about looking older or aging or that sort of thing. But I've certainly known others that have. And, um, you know, may, maybe someday it'll trouble me, but it, it hasn't thus far. But let's see what this story is all about. So it, it, it reads like this. Scientists have discovered a remarkable anti-aging molecule, the mitochondria. No, 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 no. I have this wrong. Anyway, urolithin. Urolithin. U-R-O-L-I-T-H-I-N-A that can give cellular powerhouses new life. They go on, this is a potential game changer for healthy living. It's some sort of supplement. Folks, I don't know. This strikes me a little more like a commercial. <laughs> so, if you'd like to know more, feel free to look into it. I'm going to pass by it. Sports and entertainment. Suzanne Summers, the actress, right? Fitness icon, best known for starring role in Three's Company. I'm sure you've heard that she died. 76 her age. Piper Laurie, three-time Oscar-nominated Emmy-winning actress. She has died her age. Um, well, first of all, Suzanne Summers was 76. Uh, Piper Laurie is 91. Let's see, we got a story about Taylor Swift, the Eras Tour concert film hauls in 130 million bucks at Global Box Office. That's in its opening weekend, becoming the highest grossing concert film ever. 
let's see another story. New York Liberty Top Las Vegas Acres Aces. I'm sorry. New York Liberty Top Las Vegas Aces 87 to 73. Oh, they're talking a sports team. Here we go. Huh. Palmer, I thought I was reading something else. Okay, so um, the New York team beat the Las Vegas team 87-73 to win game three of the WNBA finals. The Aces lead the series now 2-1. to one. By the way, 55,000 people attended that charity game between Iowa and DePauw. Setting women's basketball attendance record. Uh, science and technology. There's always uh, things of interest in that for me. It says the Antarctic, Antarctic Ice Shelf Survey reveals 40% have lost significant volume since 1997 releasing roughly 74 trillion tons of meltwater into the ocean. Hmm. Uh, yet another story. Researchers find nervous system mechanism behind both the need to itch and the sense of relief after scratching. Yeah, you know, it's. I doubt there's a day that goes by that I don't have some place on my body that itches a little bit. And so I'll reach down there and with my fingernails just scratch it a little bit and then it's fine, right? Yeah. Anyway, they say this whole discovery about the need to itch and the relief after scratching may lead to new therapies for eczema, and other skin conditions. Cool. Yet another story. Scientists have discovered an exoplanet believed to be made nearly entirely of iron. It is located 31 light years away. The planet is twice as dense as Earth and orbits its star every 7.7 .7 hours. Now, Don, you're kind of into science stuff like that. You think you should go and explore it for us? Probably. Yeah. Interesting. <laughs> well... <clears throat> Let's see, 9.43 now. Um, here's a little story that it's worth mentioning. President Joe Biden's campaign raises over, over $70 million in quarter ending September. And they say that haul... H-A-U-L, outpaces current GOP contenders, but is less than former President Donald Trump's $120 million raise in the same quarter of 2019. 
Let's see, longevity. Okay, here's a new game, I guess. Maybe you know about this, Don. It says, Introducing the Longevity Game by Timeline Nutrition, where the captivating realm of longevity, longevity, there we go, um, longevity science merges with the joy of word games. Oh, this is a story trying to look into a new type of game, I guess, for us to play on our phones. Okay, well, then we'll let that one go. So uh, this past Saturday, we had the Ring of Fire eclipse, right? Mm-hmm. Did you get to see it? Um, no. I forgot well, all about it. <laughs> I did, too, and I'm ashamed of that. However, um, I understand that if you Google it, there are just a great selection of photos that different people have taken um, of this uh, Ring of Fire eclipse. I know we're on the radio, folks. We don't have a visual item, but uh, you might want to look into it. There's another uh, story about an artist that creates portraits out of pebbles. That intrigues me. Yeah. Let's see here. How spandex became standard for superheroes. What is spandex? I should know, but I don't. It's like the real tight clothes that are up against your body. Oh, okay. Yeah. Another item. The newest way to laugh over text. And then there's this word, all caps, I-J-B-O-L. These are all things that are, like, wanting us to look into this. Um... Here's another one. Why bedbugs just keep spreading. America graduates its first space ranger. Here's an item. I don't really understand this. Buy your next Ferrari with cryptocurrency. Okay, the Rubik's Cube. Have you done it? Yeah, it's been a very long time since I have, though. Did you become good at it? No. Okay. I have watched different people using a Rubik's Cube. And it's like, and they're done. How do they do that? It's just absolutely amazing. Um, well, so they have competitions, and they'll hand 
10 teenagers, a Rubik's Cube, and say, go. And then who completes theirs the fastest? And they're the winner of that competition. Well, there's word now that a teenager solves the Rubik's Cube in record time. But not only that, he was skydiving while doing it. That is crazy. Just crazy. All right. Well, it's a Monday edition, folks. I'm sure you figured that out. <laughs> um, let's see. What are some of the headlines that we may have missed? Uh, we've talked a little bit about this, but um, this is the headline. As Israeli invasion looms, diplomats seek to meet Gaza's dire human needs. Another story related. Gaza's hospitals face impossible choices with Israel evacuation order. Another headline, inside Trump's backroom effort to lock up the nomination. Um, in the arts, facing scrutiny, a museum that holds 12,000 human remains changes courses. Uh, that one I want to know a little bit more about. So it says the, the American Museum of Natural History said it would address its collecting of remains, which stretched into the 1940s and included practices now viewed as abusive and racist. Yeah. Okay, I see where they're going. Um, bum, 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 bum. You know, we had a story about um, Ohio colleges and universities, didn't we? Uh, yeah, yeah uh, recently, but uh, not the report that we have in front of it, but it is about colleges. Well, what's this one? This that is uh, the college and university rankings for 2024. Well, isn't that worth talking about? Yeah. Okay. So I, was actually just, I, was, I was looking through it, and, but it only, it only lists the top five and, I guess, bottom six, because they're all tied, for best institution first versus worst institution, and then the student-faculty ratio for the top five and bottom five. Okay. Well, let's try to make some sense out of it and, and have this be our final item. We've got about eight minutes left. So... This report was released this weekend, right? Uh, today. The today. 16th, today. Okay. Yeah, today's the 16th. And the title of it is? College and University Rankings 2024. Then the 2024 is in parentheses. Yeah. And uh, does this concern the nation or does it concern Ohio? Uh, the nation. Really? Okay. Now, um, 
you want to pick through it and share some things, or shall I? Uh, uh, I'll let you. What do. jumps out? I was gonna say, well, well, like I said, it only kind of lists uh, the best institution versus worst, and then the student faculty ratio. It doesn't list all of the like best ones, I guess. Well, in a fierce global economy, a college degree can help secure employment and keep you ahead of the competition, right? And though success ultimately rests on students' own determination and performance, the quality of the schools they choose can certainly have an impact. However, attending higher education requires more than just grades to get in. You'll also need to uh, financial resources. You know, there's, there's uh, what do you call it? You have to pay. Tuition. Tuition, thank you. On average, tuition and room and board and four-year college can cost between, um, they're saying, 28000 to $58,000 per year. It varies depending on the school's public or private status and whether it's in-state. For those prices, students want to know they are getting a good deal. Well, yeah. So to determine the top performing schools at the lowest possible costs to undergraduates, Wallet Hub compared more than 800 higher education institutions here in the U.S. across 30 different measures. The data group, the data set is grouped into seven categories. Well, what are such examples? So one category is student selectivity. Another is cost of in financing and career outcomes. Well, you get the idea. And the metrics range from student-faculty ratio to graduation rate to post-attendance median salary. Okay. So there's much more explanation, but I think we've <coughs> set it up well enough now to take a peek. Okay, lowest versus highest. but I want to make sure I know what we're talking about. Okay. Best institution worth versus worst institution. How would you like to be on the worst side? Okay. Um, lowest, highest. Boy, I'm just not really sure what I'm saying here, so I don't want to mislead anyone. I think that we really need to look into this report a little more carefully because I don't want to 
misrepresent any institution. Don, I never give you an assignment. <laughs> I'll look into it. Please <laughs> do, and we'll get a chance to probably talk about it next Friday. So once again, tomorrow, our guest is going to be Jacob Haining. He is a relative of mine, but he is also very knowledgeable and um, counsels many organizations, as I understand it, on the topic of artificial intelligence. Uh, I don't know if he's in Memphis, Tennessee, or Phoenix, or where, but we're going to reach out to him and talk to him. On Wednesday, Dr. Sue Riggie will be um, our guest. She is the chair of the Mount Zion Black Cultural Center. As I mentioned, I went to a nice event of theirs. Uh, I guess it was Saturday evening. And um, um, But they are doing so many restorations of that building. And the, these classic stained glass windows. There are experts from various places around the world who have come here and helped uninstall them to take them to a place to be perfectly restored. And then they'll be reinstalled. Uh, you know, all that scaffolding that surrounded the building with uh, plastic materials to keep the weather from damaging inside. Oh, well, we'll learn about Mount Zion Black Cultural Center uh, more on Wednesday. Now, um, why should someone visit Athens County? There are lists of reasons that are cool about our county and unique stories. So, Boone Troyer is going to be joining us on Thursday to uh, remind us of some of those unique things and probably inform us of some new ones that we didn't know about. And I, I kind of look forward to that because I'm, I'm almost ashamed of how proud I am of Athens County. I just think it's a whale of a place and I'm proud to live here and have been associated with it for some years. So we are out of time. So again, tomorrow, um, artificial intelligence will be our topic. Don, anything new on your mind? No, I think we're all good. Cool. Folks, be careful out there, please, and we'll see you tomorrow right here on WATH. In our 73rd year of serving Southeast Ohio, AM 970 and 97.3 FM. W-A-T-H.